0: All right, I have the um the difficult task of opening up what Paul's trying to communicate in Romans chapter 8. If there is a chapter in all of the Bible that probably has meant more to the saints, um it would probably be this chapter and there is I mean there is a lot of wonderful realities and so we're going to hopefully see a little bit of what Paul is trying to communicate in Romans chapter 8. So before, um, before I pray, I'm not sure if, if you saw the story about Noel Stafford this week in social media. Noel Stafford's a, uh, a landscaper in Florida, and um, he's colorblind, and uh, this year, on his 66th birthday, he received a pair of sunglasses. Uh, some of you are nodding your head. You, you saw it. it. It made its wave on, on social media. And it, his, his kids gave him a pair of sunglasses that reverse colorblindness. Um, so these aren't your, your Ray-Bans. These are much better than the Ray-Bans that you might purchase. And so they video uh, Mr. Stafford putting on the glasses for the first time. And I mean, it's, it's remarkable, but he, he puts the glasses on and immediately takes them off uh, because he's just so overwhelmed of the brief moment of what he just took in. And he, has, he starts crying, he has to wipe uh, the, the tears away, and then he puts them back on and he just, it's like he's on a roller coaster because he cannot... For the life of him, believe what he's saying. And he kind of starts touching himself and, and just looking, and they have all of these colored balloons, just bright, vibrant colors. And, and he says this as he's kind of take it all in. He says, it's so clear. I can't believe it. And, I, you know, coming off the heels of Easter... And in, in thinking about Romans chapter 8, I, I just thought about that, that picture of this man who, who, who has been colorblind, seeing color for the first time. Because what, what Paul's doing in Romans chapter 8 is he's, he's been on this campaign to give believers security and assurance that God loves them. You know, so you learn early on that if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Like, you can't be condemned if you're in Jesus. That you can call the Father Abba. That you can call God Abba Father. That the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you. That if you're in Christ, you have this inheritance because you're heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. And there's just these string of realities where... You know, if that wasn't enough, Paul then goes on to say, guess what? The end game for you, if you're in Jesus, is that one day you're going to look like him. You're going to be conformed to look like Jesus. Which, if that wasn't enough, he says, look, you've been called. You've been predestined. You've been justified. You will be glorified. And then, this is why this chapter is just so precious to believers, It's as if Paul says, Look, here's a pair of glasses, and I want you to see something even more incredible. And it's as if Paul hands us these glasses to show us what's behind everything that God does for his children. It's as if God gives us these glasses to show us that behind our calling, our predestination, our justification, behind our inheritance, behind everything is the vibrant color of God's expansive, comprehensive, extensive love. And so my prayer for us this morning if, if I could and what I would want for you and for me is for us to be able to say it's so clear. I can hardly believe it. There you go. If, if you were asleep <laughs> uh, you're awake now. But let's pray and ask God um, to show us just how clear His love really is for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we love the idea of rest, and we love the idea of resting in You. And so it's our prayer that we may be able to see the greatness and the goodness and the comprehensive uh, nature of your love. Uh, We can't um, create our own sight. Uh, We don't have the ability to make ourselves see the things that are uh, revealed to us in your word. Um, But we know, Lord Jesus, that you send us your Holy Spirit to reveal these things. So would you give us illumination Would you give us understanding? Would you help us see um, the wonder and the beauty and the glory of your love for us? So would you do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure, well, I'm I'm probably sure that many of you have seen the vast array of insurance commercials that, uh, that... I think probably Geico is to blame for all the ridiculous commercials that we see. But my favorite set of insurance commercials, since we may be calling one if the ceiling falls, <laughs> is the Allstate Mayhem commercials. Are you all familiar with those? Where there's this guy who takes on the uh, persona of mayhem, and they have these, these ridiculous scenarios. But my favorite one is when the Mayhem guy is in the pink SUV and he's in a parking lot and he's, he's, he's taking on the persona of a, of a high school girl and it's about texting and driving where the Mayhem guy starts off and he receives a text and it's a text from Becky and Becky's telling her that she just kissed Johnny and she says, you know, as she's reading the text, she's like, well, I've got a problem with that because I like Johnny so she throws the phone over her shoulder, it lands in the back seat, and she said, you know, the mayhem guy now is talking about, like, now I'm emotionally compromised, so he swerves, and he hits a few parked cars, (laughs) he's like, whoopsie, (laughs) Becky's not even hot, you know, you could tell the mayhem guy's, like, putting on this distraught, very emotional high school girl, um, and then, of course, it, it cuts into the tagline, you know, if, if you've got cut rate insurance, you could be paying this yourself. So why not get Allstate, you know, and be protected from mayhem like me? Um, it, you know, those commercials we identify with, right? Because they do play into our fears. Because we do fear mayhem. I mean, we fear... failing. Uh, we fear losing someone that we love. We fear not living up to the expectations that someone has set for us. You know, we, we fear living in a failed marriage. We feel living a life of boredom not having a sense of purpose. There's, the reason why those commercials are so popular is because they're tapping into something that is a reality for every single one of us because mayhem does exist. We do live in a fallen and broken world. And what the Allstate and Geico and State Farm commercials offer is protection from the mayhem. And what I want you to understand this morning is that what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 8 is he's offering us something so much better. He's offering us the absolute security and the assurance that our God is the one who alone is able to protect you and me from everything that this fallen and broken world can throw at you. That because of what Jesus has done, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the hope of his return is our greatest insurance that we have been and will be protected from all the mayhem. And so, what I want to do this morning is, I want to look at three promises that Paul gives us at the very end of Romans chapter 8 that have to do with his expansive, comprehensive love for you and for me so that we can, when we walk out of here, know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves us and that he's for us. So three promises. The first promise is this, that God, he's for us. The second one is that God does not withhold from us. And the lastly, God can't stop loving you. First, God is for us. Look again at verse 31. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Literally, Paul says that in light of everything that I've just read up until this point, if God is for you, who can ever be against you? In other words, If God is for you, who could ever oppose you? Now, you have to remember, Paul's writing to Christians in Rome who are living under a very difficult regime. They're undergoing all sorts of persecution and heartache and trials. And Paul himself knew all too well the reality of what it was like to be opposed, to endure hardships, to undergo persecution and suffering. And Paul is pleading for you and for me this morning to know that if God is for us, if he has rescued us, predestined us, called us, justified us, glorified us, then the question in some sense is absurd, right? If God has done all of that, the question in some ways is ridiculous. If God's love is that thorough, that eternal, that unchangeable, that protective, that secure, then nothing can ultimately harm us. Paul is saying, You really are that safe. And what I want you to understand this morning is that the Father, through the work of His Son Jesus, has already dealt with our greatest mayhem, our greatest adversary. That's what last week was about. So if you missed last week, it's on the web. But Paul is reminding us that Jesus has already dealt with our greatest adversary, sin and death. Like, that's the worst thing about you and me. And Jesus has dealt with that in its fullest extent. And so what Paul is doing is he's showing us that if if the Father, by giving up the Son, has dealt with our greatest mayhem, then you can have the assurance and the security to know that you're safe and you can rest in that. So what would this mean for us? What would it look like for you and for me to live in light of the promise that if God is for us, who could be against us? Well, the first thing is is that it, it actually humbles us. And sadly, this verse has often been used in shameful ways by Christians. This verse has sometimes been used to abuse and manipulate those who are yet convinced of what Jesus has done. And they've wielded its truth as a means Sadly, to say, well, if God is for me, he would never be for you. And the question is, is that what Paul's really doing? Now, this truth should humble us, because what Paul is actually showing us is the fact that if the, the great, unbelievable, I can't believe this is happening truth, is that why is God for anyone? Because you have to remember that at one point God was opposed to you. That his wrath was revealed against all unrighteousness. So the fact that God is for anyone is remarkable. But yet, by his mercy and grace, he gave us Jesus. The fact that God is for anyone humbles us. This verse shows us that we do not deserve God to be for us because of our own sin and rebellion. And yet, the humbling reality is that He showed us mercy and grace. This truth does not give us the opportunity to grow in arrogance and pomp. If For some reason, this truth makes you arrogant and proud, then you've missed the point. If this verse somehow makes you self righteous and a jerk, you don't understand the gospel. Paul says, If God is for us, who could ever be against us? And that's a humbling reality. But secondly, God doesn't withhold. Look again at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? A friend of mine said that you should take this truth And run it through every other truth. That's a really big statement to make. But he said, you should take this truth, verse 32, and you should run it as a filter. Like It should be a filter that you run everything else through. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? (coughs) Memorize it. Dwell in it marinate in it. This statement demonstrates just how powerful, just how vast, just how unbelievable God's love is. And I can't do justice to explain it. But by way of contrast, let me see if I can maybe get at it a little bit. Becoming a father has done all sorts of things to me. Um... Uh, One is, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit that my parents were right. They always said, just wait until you have kids and you'll understand. And of course, we always in our arrogance and whatever, like, okay, whatever. And of course, I had a kid. And I didn't realize, I mean, I knew I would love my kid, but I never realized that I would love them that much. You know, the, like, there was this whole other category of, like, when you get married and you're like, whoa, I, I can't believe I love my spouse this much. And then you have children, like, whoa, I didn't know I had still more to give. And, and so we had Branson, our, our, our oldest, and um, I can remember the first time I began to identify with this, this new love that I had for him. And it came over a situation that sparked jealousy and outrage, Now, just to assure you, this did not happen in Santa Barbara. This was back home in Memphis, so you can all be assured that it was not your child that I'm about to talk about. (laughs) But we kind of had a little play date at our house, and... and we had some friends over, and, and their son was about 10 months older than, than our son at the time. And, and we're hanging out just, you know, as you do with play dates, and you're kind of trying to have a conversation, but not really because you're always watching your, your kids play and make sure they're not getting in trouble. And I'm just kind of watching the two boys play. And they're being boys, but my son was just kind of standing there passively watching this other boy play with some of his toys. And then all of a sudden, this older boy just turned around and just slapped him, and I was like, oh, no, you didn't, <laughs> and, like, I had, like, at that moment, I, I you know, I became, there there's there an intersection of, you know, I could go to jail next by what I'm thinking about doing, you know, <laughs> I had all sorts of just horrible thoughts about, like, what I wanted to do to this kid for what he did to my son, this, like, This jealousy and outrage just welled up within me because all I wanted to do as a dad was to protect my little boy. Now, I tell you that because what you have to understand is that the relationship between the father and the son before Jesus became a man, they always enjoyed just uninterrupted love and adoration. It was, it was perfect. The way that the Father loved the Son is, is just something we don't have the words for. And the way the Son has loved the Father, we just we cannot comprehend. Their relationship was joyous and perfect, and it's just unbelievable. And what you have to begin to, to, to wrestle with is that when Jesus became a man, it says that the Father did not spare the Son. Like, the feelings of jealousy and outrage that well up in me, those are the same feelings that well up in the Father's love for the Son, and vice versa. And yet, we're told that the Father didn't spare the Son, that the Father, He gave up the Son... He did not step in when the son was getting beat and spit on. The father did not step in when he was given a crown of thorns. The father did not step in when he was being lashed and hung on a cross. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, like, where are you? There was not even a word from the Father. He who did not spare his own Son shows us the vast, extensive, comprehensive love that the Father has for you and the question is why why would the father not intervene for god so loved the world that he gave and the question that we should wrestle with is this does the father love you more than the son that he would be willing to give up his son to have you? And the answer is, is, the father loves you every bit as he loves his son. He was willing to give up Jesus in order to have you. This reality changes everything about us. Our greatest need has already been met, which means... We can trust our Heavenly Father to provide us for everything that we could possibly need. How will He not graciously give us all things? Paul, in the previous few verses, has just said that guess what? You're heirs and co heirs with Jesus, which means that Jesus has an inheritance at the end of of all of this. What does Jesus inherit? Everything. Guess what you inherit? Everything. How will he not graciously give us all things? In other words, our inheritance, it's already there. We lack nothing in this life. When you realize the costly reality of the Father's generosity, it changes the way in which we do life. It compels us then to be generous and to be hospitable and to be. Self giving and to lavishly pour ourselves out for our neighbors. It means, college students, that you cannot use your degree as an excuse to withdraw from the community anymore. It means that we cannot use busyness as an excuse not to serve our neighbors. It means that we can spare our time and our money and our gifts and our talents to showcase to this world just how generous and gracious and loving our Heavenly Father is by how we serve our neighbor. God is for us. He does not withhold from us. But lastly, God can't stop loving us. Verse 38 says, what then or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? A friend of mine said that this is the promise that we do not want, but it's the promise we so desperately need. This promise that Paul gives us says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. What's the subtext? There's going to be all sorts of things in this life that are going to try and convince you that God does not love you. That are going to try and pull you and separate you from this promise. In other words, there's all sorts of mayhem. All sorts of suffering and heartache And what this promise is, it's a promise that we need, but it's not necessarily a promise that we want. The promise that we want, or maybe I should, the promise that I want is the promise of comfort and ease. That when I put my faith in Jesus, I'm not going to endure suffering. That's the promise I want. But Paul is showing us that the promise we need is to know that nothing will separate us from the love of God shown to us in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand that this is really what separates Christianity from all other religions in this world. Because the infinite, eternal, unchangeable Lord of the universe, He suffers with us and for us. The Father gave us His Son... And so the son identifies with all of the suffering and heartache and persecution and trials that we will ever undergo. Our God is with us in the midst of it. And here's the thing, and I say this, not just because it's true, but I say it because it's, it's just the reality that we live in. Some of you have had really tragic stories. And you have suffered immensely. And some of you in here have, have suffered very little. <clears throat> By God's grace, that is the case. But the reason why this is the promise that we need and not so much the promise we want is because some of you in here perhaps you're going to get married one day and everything's going to kind of line up the way that you want. And then you're going to try and start having kids. And it's going to be full of disappointment and heartache because you're going to have miscarriage after (coughs) miscarriage after miscarriage. Some of you, you'll end up getting married and your spouse isn't going to turn out the way in which you thought it would. Or they turn out to be someone who you didn't really think they would become. And so your marriage is going to be difficult. And it may end in divorce. Others of you are, are working relentlessly on a degree to get a job in a particular field, and you may never get into that field. You may never get the dream job. And you may end up having to live paycheck by paycheck. Others of you may watch your family or friends just waste their life away with through addiction and heartache. And, and what Paul is, is wanting us to see is this is a promise that we don't want, but it's a promise that we so desperately Need I tell you this because I don't want you to believe the lie that if God really loves me, I'll never suffer. That if God is for us, that I'll live a life of comfort and ease. I want you to believe this promise. That when you're childless, when you're divorced, when you're a widow, when you're naked, when you're jobless... I want you to believe that there's nothing that could ever separate you from the love of Christ. Paul says there's neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth. There's nothing, no amount of circumstances, no amount of of mayhem, thrown at you in this broken and fallen world could ever separate you from the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. It's a promise that we do not want, but it's a promise we so desperately need. Let me close with this. I heard a story about a girl who was in a plane crash back in 1986. It was a flight that had taken off from Detroit And the wing of the plane had clipped a a telephone pole, and the plane had crashed. But the pilots were trying to to land the plane on on a highway, and they were unsuccessful. And all 130 passengers were presumed dead until they found a little girl. And everyone was kind of perplexed about this little girl that they found Alive. I mean, the, the wreckage was just scattered everywhere for miles and miles. And they thought perhaps that that she was in a car um, when when the plane tried to land on on, on one of these highways. About maybe she was collateral damage from in a car. But they realized that her and her parents were actually on the plane's manifest, and she was the lone survivor of the plane crash in 1986. And and when she was able to, she told. The investigators, how is it that she survived? And what she said was, is that when the pilot knew that the plane was not going to make it and that they were going to crash, they instructed everyone to get into crash position, which is typically, you know, just barrel down, like hug your knees and and brace for impact. But her parents didn't listen to the pilots. Her parents unbuckled their seatbelts, And the mom got and wrapped her arms around her little girl. And then the father unbuckled his seatbelt and wrapped his arms around the both of them. And she said that it was her father and her mother's protection that actually kept her alive. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of what we have here in Romans 8, that the Father wraps His loving arms around you. And there is no amount of mayhem. There's no amount of suffering and heartache and persecution that's ever going to rip you from the Father's arms. His love for you is airtight. And if that is the case, if that is true, that the Father's love is that protective, that comprehensive, that expansive, then it means that we can trust Him. Because it means that He's never withheld anything from you or from me because He has given us His very best in the Lord Jesus. And if He hasn't spared anything on our behalf, it means that the Father is always for you, no matter what. What? He's not opposed. He's not against. No, He's for you. And so whatever comes your way by the sovereign hand of the Lord, you can know that it's because of His love for you. Because that's true, we can live in the midst of the mayhem knowing the beautiful colors of God's redeeming and restorative love. It's crystal clear. I can hardly believe it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what you have accomplished for us is almost too good to be true. Father, what you have done on our behalf by not even sparing your most precious, precious Son, it's almost too good to be true. Holy Spirit, who lives and dwells within us, making these realities um, real to where we can know and have the assurance that what the Father did and what Jesus did we can actually say, yes, this is, this is true, and it's real. But Lord Jesus, you know in a room like this, there are many, many who doubt whether or not you love them because of the mayhem. There's immense suffering and heartache and loss. There's some here that doubt that you could ever love them for the lifestyle that they have lived, the ways in which their rebellion has showed up against you, and there is shame and guilt. Others of us have just grown bored because we've heard this all of our lives. And so it does not excite or compel us. It does not move us. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that, that our hearts would burn within us with a new, a new fervor, that our hearts would burn within us knowing that we're loved, and that we're cared for, and that in the ultimate sense, there's nothing that can harm us. There's nothing that you withhold from us, and you really can't stop loving us. May that be ever so true. And would you write these things upon all of our hearts, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.